I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Another crazy evening of Champions League action. Federico to Federico as Juventus beat Chelsea. Manchester United and Villarreal looked all good for a draw. And then, yes, it was that man again, Cristiano Ronaldo. We got this. Barcelona in demise. What will happen to Ronald Koeman? We got this and so much more. James Bench, Heath Pierce, Cristina Uncle later on. And hopefully, if he's somewhere, I don't know, we'll try and find him. Jimmy Conrad as well. But Champions League. Recap Wednesday, Kego Lasso begins right now. Hey everybody, welcome to Kego Lasso Champions League Wednesday recap action here on YouTube, by the way. And if you're listening on audio later on, thank you so much. We got a packed episode just like Tuesday, a lot of drama just like Tuesday, a lot of Champions League action just like Tuesday, but a different cast, slightly different. And we begin, of course, by telling you to Thank you for being part of our Kegolasso family and make sure that to follow Kegolasso Pod on Twitter. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CBS Sports, your CBS Sports app, and youtube.com forward slash Kegolasso. Let's get going. Let's begin by saying hello to James Bench. James, how are you, my friend? Um, I'm all right. I feel, you know, I was doing one, I was doing one game I bring all this energy and James just completely hey, flattens my hey, belief. Don't ask if you don't want the truth. Allow the exactly. man to speak his truth, you know? That's you true. Lot, from what I, as far as I can tell, you were all kind of on probably watching the Golazzo show, seeing all these fantastic goals fly in, all the drama. Um, and I was watching Juventus Chelsea, which was like good in the end. And we're going to talk about that first. But I think we're talking about it first so we can get it out of the way, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. Uh, so, okay, you're forgiven because, yes, the Juventus-Chelsea game uh, didn't really excite uh, that many. But Heath Pierce, how are you, brother? I'm good. It's good to see Benji again after last week. And I know we're long removed from the North London Derby, but it's just good to see, you know, see, look at him. He's perking up already, you know. We're um, talking, that's be the best excited. football in the world. Sorry, you I don't want to distract us. Go ahead. Yeah. Are you happy? No. Go ahead. Emil and Bakayo in the UCL next season can hardly wait. <laughs> that would be nice, actually. But welcome, everybody. We mentioned that Christina Uncle uh, will hopefully come in later because there were obviously, as there always are, dubious and interesting refereeing decisions on the Champions League night. And Jimmy Conrad, uh, if we can uh, tear him off from his HQ duties as well. But also, by the way, which we'll talk about in a second. There's so much action, uh, including Kuman, USMNT players in action, and the roster came out as well. By the way, there's a great video with Heath and Jimmy as well, but we'll talk about that in a second. But James Bench, let's begin about that really exciting game as Juventus defeated Chelsea one nothing. Uh, Allegri, obviously because Dybala and Alvaro Morata were injured, he had to figure things out in terms of the offensive lineup. And Federico and Federico, did some things as uh, Bernadeschi uh, laid it off to Chiesa and boom, one nothing. I didn't watch this one as much. So, James, give us the lowdown on this game. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, kind of the game starts, as you mentioned, Luis, with, with the fact that there's no uh, Dybala or Morata for uh, Juventus and crucially no Mason Mount, Kante or Reese James. 
and Christian Pulisic for Chelsea. I mean, I th- think all of those players were missed both from the contest as a whole and their individual sides. It wasn't the best quality, but then that really suited Juventus to a T. Their view of this was, hey, we've got Bonucci and Delict, and if things get really hairy, we've got Giorgio Chiellini on the bench. You play in front of us, Chelsea, see what you can do. The answer was pretty much nothing. Uh, and then Juventus, it was a very direct, long ball, heavy counter-attacking style. It was pretty much a one-man offensive Federico Chiesa at times, but a one-man offensive Federico Chiesa can do quite a lot, it turns out. And obviously he did have help from Bernadeschi with that really smart layoff 11 seconds into the second half. But I think for me, the talking point here is another super passive performance by Chelsea. Mm. It's a lot of possession, but they're not creating anything with it. I felt like on Saturday against Man City, you know, Tuchel was looking to stretch play in behind with someone like Werner. That didn't work. So having zigged then, he zagged back to two more creative players in in Havertz and, and Ziyech, both of them and Lukaku kept going for the ball. And that just meant there was nothing in behind. In the last two games, and I'll, I'll leave it on this, in the last two games when the scores have been level, Chelsea have created shots worth 0.21 XG uh, in about 100 minutes of football. There's That's a bit terrible. of a problem going on here. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 to follow up on that, I, I agree. I thought that, again, it's one of these ones where it gets backwards. They, did, they lack that sort of vertical combination play that you would expect where... Juventus was like, hey, eliminate Lukaku with this lineup and this roster that Chelsea's putting out, and they're not going to have much. There were times that they started to get the ball wide, but combination play was far too slow. It allowed two uh, pivot players to sit right in front of um, uh, Lukaku for for long periods. And finally, when they started to have a few spurts of possession where only because of the fact that Juventus had nobody that could stretch the game and actually uh, counterattack with, with any sort of emphasis... Chelsea were just accidentally getting the ball back on somewhat lazy of a press and keeping the ball in their half. And at that time, they started to have a little bit of an imbalance in the, in the Juventus squad where they were able to find Lukaku a few times. But it just seemed like one of those days where you're like, man, you wish you had a Mason Mount. You wish you had a Christian Pulisic. You should have enough in Havertz. But maybe a Timo Werner is one that could start to pull those players out of position. Similar in the way that I, I think Greenwood does so well with Man United when they put him in the right spots to just stretch fullbacks or in stretch center halves out of position that allow you to get entry balls into Lukaku because the game changes when they can get to him. But if everything gets crowded on top of him, they just become very one dimensional and easy to play against. And I will say for, for Juventus, this was, <clears throat> excuse me. I just choked on, on my, on something. <clears throat> Juventus, You're so excited to yeah. talk about Max Allegri. Yeah. You choked yourself out of excitement. <laughs> yeah. I choked myself out of the lie. I was about to say, uh, I just couldn't get it out. This was a, a Juventus performance where you're like, okay, cool. Uh, similar to again, man United, where it's going to be hard for them to win every game. If they're going to sit this deep and not have anybody that can relieve them of that pressure at times. And obviously a different case with man United, but I thought, I thought that Juventus played uh, as James mentioned, uh, a really good defensive uh, system where it was just difficult to break down. And you would think a Chelsea can do that. But in a, in a day like this with the players and the system of play that they came out with, it was really, really hard for them. James, let me ask you about Romelu Lukaku. Uh, are you, you know, uh, obviously drew a blank as well in the past weekend and now as well. Are you worried a little bit about him? What's going on? Like, I mean, obviously we, the thing is we know he's a world-class striker, but yeah, I'm a little bit worried. What I'm worried about is that this is the year 2021 and Romelu Lukaku is attempting post-ups. Have you not been? I know I he watches your, the NBA. I saw your tweet. <laughs> yeah, go I on. Know, hey, I know you're yeah, I know he watches the NBA. 
I think it's the, his one great chance of the game came with the, you know, when he kind of dummied for that post up and spun. And he is so, he's so effective running at defenders or running into space, just moving. But I felt like he was kind of deliberately creating a, a quite a static target for himself. It, it feels a bit like because in the early games, he did have a lot of joy just bullying defenders that he's been maybe a bit guilty of just going, well, I'll keep doing that. And it's, he is so effective running with the ball. And it's yeah. very frustrating. I think not to see him try that once he, he was the one player that, that I wanted to drop deep in a different way. Um, I, you know, I'm sure these are all little foibles and, and Tuchel will, will I'm sure fix all this and having Manked and, Kante it would just add a little bit more of the verticality Heath was mentioning but it, it's 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 not it's not pleasant on the eye you know what it was but you know you know what was interesting about that though is I sort of bought into that in the first games as this target mm. striker and again I don't think that's at his best but he was getting so much service into his feet when he was posting up before that he was constantly active right whereas now teams are like oh, okay how about we just cut off that angle and then he becomes one-dimensional and doesn't do the things that you're mentioning. But when teams weren't picking that up before and, and Chelsea was having a lot of success of just feeding it into his feet and getting up underneath it and being able to now face the field differently, that it was just a simple tactical change of watching one videotape and you go, oh, okay, we can eliminate that. We're going to make it very difficult. And now it seems like it's becoming difficult that he's going to have to go back to some of those other things you mentioned in his game. Yes, James Bench, uh, before you go, because uh, I know you love the NBA as well. So you're saying that Lukaku 2021 is more uh, Wizards Dwight Howard as opposed to Nikola Jokic, you think? Is, is that is that fair? Is he, that is exactly it. Romelu <laughs> Lukaku could be an elite screener for Timo Werner is what I'm really saying. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that's it from James Bench. I know he has to leave early, but thank you so much. Do you have a final thought before you say goodbye? And we bring on Jimmy Conrad because he is ready as well. Yeah, just incredibly hyped for tomorrow. Uh, Europa League football, European football at the London Stadium. It's going to be cracking and you can watch that on Paramount+. Plus. I love it. Follow James Bench on Twitter, CBS Sports. James, have a good night. Thank you so much. And we sub out James Bench. We say goodbye to James and we welcome here. Uh, finally, he woke up from his slumber, Heath Pierce. I think you voiced him out earlier on with the USMNT Russell. Jimmy Conrad's in the house. Jimmy, how are you, bud? I'm doing great. So I hit the wrong link and I was waiting backstage for our weekend preview, Wait, which is dropping Jimmy, tomorrow. You hit the wrong link or did Des Norris send you the wrong link to make you look bad? You know what? I, that's a bigger conversation to have with Des. <laughs> but uh, no, no, it was there. I just I just saw the first one and it was weekend preview. So I'm really ready for tomorrow's weekend preview <laughs> podcast. But obviously, uh, I'm here now, and it gave more more airtime to James Benj. And don't we all want that more time for James Benj? We do. We do want more time for that. Okay, well, listen, let's move on here. Let's talk about Manchester United against Villarreal. Let's give Jimmy Conrad the first word, and then Heath, I want you to jump in after what. But, you know, I watched this whole game, so I've got my own thoughts, but it was 1-0 all the way till stoppage time, and then there he was, that man again, Cristiano Ronaldo, scoring that winner. A nice little layoff from Jadon Sancho, by the way, and Ronaldo capitalized and made it. 2-1. And I believe we have a graphic on screen from Des Norris as well. This is Ronaldo's record-breaking 178th Champions League appearance. That's pretty, pretty damn good. And here we go. There it is. Uh, Look at the company that he uh, just over uh, superseded, by the way. Iker Casillas, Lionel Messi, and Xavi Hernandez, uh, a.k.a. Barcelona's future manager. But we'll get to that in a second. But Jimmy, talk to me about Manchester United Villarreal. How do you see that? Well, I'm pretty disappointed that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has his shirt on for this graphic, but because uh, <laughs> the guy's an absolute machine. I mean, he's a brick house. 
I will say that as I was watching this game, I was watching it with Man United fans and the okay. roller coaster of emotion that they're on. I mean, they give up the first goal, Ole out. He should get fired. <laughs> he's out. He's even worse than Kuman. I'm like, well, I don't, whoa, 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 tap the brakes there, you know? I mean, he's going to be out before, you know, Espirito Santo. He should be gone. And then Alex Tellis scores a pretty good set piece. Obviously, great finish to make it 1 1. They're like, all right, well, he hasn't made any subs yet. When is he going to bring on a sub? They're always complaining about something. They finally bring on Cavani, finally make some subs. And yeah, maybe he waited a little bit too long. And then, of course, the greatest to ever do it in this competition, Cristiano Ronaldo, who was very quiet, similar to Messi in the PSG, PSG game. But he comes out of nowhere and he makes the plays when it makes a difference. And we now have the two superstars doing it once again and proving why they're the greatest of all time. And right place, right time. The guy just is clutch. He's clutch. There's nothing that I can say about it. And now people are like, Ole in. You know, he's as good as Fergie. Fergie time. I'm like, oh, my, I can't. I cannot watch games with Manchester United fans anymore. Football fans, baby. It's unreal. Well, yeah. It's okay. unreal. Hey, you know what, though? Yep, Stam's available if they're looking for a new, if they're looking for a new <laughs> you manager. Love it. Huh? You gotta love it. Or yeah. break the board. Break the boards, <laughs> yeah. too. Hey, you, club legends only. Let's funnel them through and see what we can do. Just kind of like how club all legends. the uh, Serie serial uh, clubs do with their legends. Just bring them in for two months and then send them on their way as like a thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, this game, uh, I, I will say this. Uh, first about Ronaldo. What people sometimes forget is as his game has evolved over the last seasons, he's become much more effective and much more strategic in the times in which he gets involved, right? We saw him in these first flashes uh, with Manchester United. He was doing his stepovers. He had all this energy again. He was when he was at Juventus for the last couple of seasons. He was he would save that for periods where he'd see the opportunity to capitalize on a weakened team or a moment where he knew he could put the team on his shoulders, and he would do that constantly. But you wouldn't see him as busy or active. And I think now he's starting to settle back back into that. The quicker he settles into that role with Manchester United, the better Manchester United are going to be, right? Because you don't want Ronaldo running all over the place to get the ball to feel like he's got to carry the team in a different way. He carries the team by making those types of plays, world-class plays that only he can make in big moments, whether it's a header, whether it's a, a near post one. He just seems to have that magic in him to get results for the team. And I think faster he gets into that role within the, within the team, the better Fernandez is going to be, the better Greenwood's going to be, the better the players around them are going to be able to settle in and predict how we press, how we counter, how we build up, all those types of things. And right now, I think it's a stressful moment for the team because it's Ronaldo just want to make sure that you get him the ball or, or do whatever he wants you to do if you're the team. On the flip yeah. side for United, I am still seriously worried about this uh, defensive displays of this team. It's not like they have weak players. It's not like they're bad, but just the disorganization and the ability to make simple plays or put out fires has me really worried about uh, how they're ever going to even be this attacking team that has Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandez and, and Mason Greenwood, who is supposed to be one of the best and I still think will be one of the best in the Premier League this year. How you're ever going to have the freedom to win games with those players if you're constantly having to worry about who's tracking back, how many players are defensive, what's our shape, and putting out fires like that. Yeah, I'm. listen, I watched this whole game just like your Man United friends, Jimmy Conrad, and uh, after also, you know, getting a little bit of a blueprint from the Villa game as well, I'm just going to tell you this right now. I think that Manchester United are a team that relies heavily, heavily, caps heavily on individual talent. Mm -hmm. And sort of one-on-one -on -one direct situations, Pogba's vision, Bruno Fernandes on the ball, Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, right? Instead of a collective sort of will to just get it together, especially off the ball. And then when they lose the ball, the midfield is just open for business. And Villarreal, I feel for them because they play the game. 
They passed. They broke the lines. Danjuma on the left side is a problem. He is fantastic. Paco Alcacer, all these players. And obviously, you know, Ronaldo, as you mentioned, the best ever to play in this tournament. You give him an inch, he's going to just take it. And that's what happened. So I think that Manchester United, I'm still worried about them in terms of, uh, you know, can they win the title? I mean, sure, they got the pieces to do it. Can they do it under Earl Gunnar Solskjaer, Jimmy Conrad? That's another question. I don't think so, is my uh, initial answer after kind of seeing how this yeah. is all played out, especially after having a couple of weeks now with all of your new signings together. Varane gets pulled out of position for Villarreal's goal, a little overeager. Yes, McTominay and Pogba probably should do a little bit better there. So that CDM spot, I think, is still an issue. I think their back line is a bit of an issue. I thought that they really missed Juan Basaka in this particular game. To your point, Danjuma was running riots on the left side of the field and causing the back line for Man United a ton of problems. So there's some issues with regard to that. Also, a conversation that I was having with Man United fans prior to Ronaldo scoring is whether signing him was actually the best move. I think a part of it was he's a club legend and they don't want to see him go to Man City. And also, they just don't want Man City to have Cristiano Ronaldo in their, you know, they just don't want him. They don't they, they don't want to allow that to happen. Ronaldo, that was an incentive, 100%. For sure. But, but when yeah. you think about where he fits in the team, I don't think he's an out-and-out out nine. I think he's kind of an in-betweener between a striker and a winger. Mm. And, okay, what does that mean for the, what, 80 million you splashed on Jaden Sancho? If you have Cavani come in to be that number nine that's doing the thankless running, that's you know stretching out defenses and giving that old coaching speak verticality so that Ronaldo can find those half spaces that Heath loves to talk about, that's probably what you need to do. But then if you have Cavani and Ronaldo, then what? You have Greenwood, Sancho, and Rashford. All sitting, you can play one of those three. It just feels feels kind of harsh. Anthony for those guys. sitting on the wing. Yeah, yeah, you have a ton of talent, which is fine. They need some depth, but it's interesting. I don't know if Ronaldo really fits into their system, assuming you actually think they have a system under Ole Gunnar, which is a bigger conversation. But but there's a lot of question marks to your point, and I think that leads itself to okay, we can't really solve problems as a collective group because we have all these individuals that are kind of seeing the game in different ways. Yeah, my final point on that is just defensively, again, those mistakes, Veron, uh, Diego Dolo, you're in good position, you're in good shape, all mm -hmm. you got to do is pinch in, but you can see he's baiting that through ball, waiting for them to hit it, doesn't get his foot on it, and then you get behind because you have a, an inform uh, fullback just bombing through, and and those are the kinds of mistakes at this level are a reminder that you don't, you can't get away, you can't get away with them, and uh, unless you plan to score three goals a game, which I think is going to be tough for this team, they're going to continue to get punished in that back line. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens indeed. Uh, by the way, if you're watching this on YouTube right now, live, please, we encourage you to drop in your comments and your questions. We always love them. They've been very good recently. So thank you. Uh, make them funny. Make them interesting. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll answer them if we can. Uh, I just want to quickly talk about Villarreal because obviously this was the, the repeat of last year's Europa League final. Villarreal are a very good team. A lot of talent, especially Spanish talent. They play on the national team as well. Do you see them? Uh, let's ask both of you, Heath, first. Do you see them getting out of this group? Do you see them doing anything further? They've always been known pretty much of being a Europa kind of uh, club. What can they do in the Champions League, Heath Pierce? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, if you, they were really impressive. I mean, they made De Gea have to be the best player on the field uh, uh, today for, for, for Man United to even stay in this game. And so, obviously, in this group, you have Atalanta on four points, Young Boys on three, United on three, and then Villarreal now on one, which I think they were robbed, robbed on. Um, 
I, I, I feel like they definitely have an opportunity. And because of just the split up points right now within this group after two games, I think that they could definitely win out on uh, win out uh, winning enough points to get out of this this uh, this group. I think those matchups because you look at the way that they play, and and I feel like of all the all the matches between yesterday and today, they were robbed the most in terms of their performance overall, definitely. just to have an individual moment of brilliance. And then Alex tells also they were saying in the broadcast like, oh yeah, from or straight from the training grounds, and I'm like, no one trains a lobbed ball to the back post to get hit first time on the volley. <laughs> Uh, like as a set piece, it was terrible, but it was executed perfectly. Um, like th- those types of things. FIFA just... 2022. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, by the way, we we did that for the uh, for uh, CBS's and Paramount Plus's Verizon post game show with Efrain Alvarez. We hit him like a hundred balls on the volley on the back post to get the shot that we needed, and he got one out of a hundred. That just shows you. <laughs> and he's an incredible striker of the ball. Yeah, so it shows you. Uh, but we made it look like he did it every time. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like the the. the, the they just got robbed. And I think that I still think they're better than Atalanta. I still think that they're better than young boys who I think are, are, cap- are clearly capable of, of snatching points from people within this group. So I, I expect them to be second out of this group. What I'll add is that we're really going to learn a lot in match day three and four because Villarreal plays young boys twice. So if they can come out of that with six points, I think Atalanta and Man United will probably, I don't know, maybe split the points. Maybe there's two draws there, and that would leave Villarreal on top of the table. So to his point, they have a really good chance of getting top of the table, getting top two for sure. But to your point, there's just something about the Europa League and Unai Emery, their manager, that really go hand in hand because they like winning that competition. So I don't think they'd be bummed about the Europa League, but obviously they've got a good shot, but they have to get all six points against Young Boys to make that happen. Yep, and Atalanta beat uh, Young Boys earlier as well, so it should be an interesting uh, storyline. By the way, if you have any questions, again, please hit us up right here, but we're going to take a quick break. But that actually means, if you're watching live, it's a millisecond of a break, then we're right back. On audio, we take a little bit of a longer break, and we're right back. We will be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Everybody, we're right back here at Kigo Lasso Champions League Wednesday recap. Before we continue, by the way, the USMNT roster came out on Wednesday, and these two lovely gentlemen did a great video discussing the roster itself. Plenty of Champions League action for some of them as well. Pulisic is out, obviously, due to injury, etc. But there are there were some players that played today as well. Um, so first of all, I want to direct you to that whenever you can to go to that video and check it out. Make sure that you do it. And Jimmy and Heath will be part of the whole preview and recapping content for World Cup qualifiers. The opener, of course, against Jamaica and the Reggae Boys. All right. Well, we got the roster named as well. Um, so I don't have the producer desk. Our lovely producer will put it up on screen. But we had some players that played today. Peafock, Aronson, 
And it was uh, Aronson against Wea actually today as well. Serginio Dest. But here's the roster. Um, you know, I'm not going to go and dwell too much with these two about the roster itself that, you know, they went at it in the other video, but I wanted to focus specifically on those that played today. As I mentioned, PFOG, Aronson against Weah, Serginio Dest, whose handball gave away that penalty, although, you know, it's not a completely, uh, you know, blame on him. But uh, anything from today, Jimmy Conrad, from any other one that stood out, any, did you see anything? And then anything that you wanted to add to the roster as well? I will just say with regard to Serginio Dest, Barcelona put him on the left side of the field, and I just don't think he looks comfortable there. As much as I appreciate him, going forward and having a little bit of that sauce, as we like to say, when he does have the ball and has some space in front of him. When you have a team like Benfica that's really coming at you with a ton of energy, it's going to be tough. And you want players to be put in their best positions to have confidence, ultimately. And he's so much more comfortable on the right side of the field. So that's just where Barcelona are at the moment, when they're putting players in these, these positions where they're not playing to their strengths. And, and that really speaks to one of the reasons, many reasons, why they lost 3-0 today. So that makes me a little bit nervous for Serginho Dest because anytime he plays on the left side for the U.S., we don't get the best version of him mm. in that spot either. So that gives me some, some cause for concern. Everybody else, you know, Weston McKinney got some minutes. Hopefully that continues over the weekend. So some of these guys are starting to round into some, some game sharpness ahead of these big World Cup qualifiers uh, Aaron, Aaron, Brandon Aronson, I want to give a shout out because I think he's going to be a pivotal part for us throughout this whole qualifying phase. So I want him to continue to get minutes and everybody else, Jordan Pifuk, I thought maybe would come out with some vengeance since he didn't get named to the team, but, uh, alas, young boys couldn't score today. I, I, I what I'll say about, uh, Jordan Pifuk is that interestingly, the way that young boys played is made me sad that he, he didn't get the call up for whatever reason, because mm. they would play on a goal kick two center backs next to the goalkeeper lay a ball off one, two passes. And then they would lump it up to him to scrap and battle to hold up balls. And he Against was dominating. Atalanta. <laughs> he was dominating Atalanta's back line of just yeah. bringing the ball in, scrapping, fighting for balls, allowing the players and the team to get up underneath, creating those sort of two V one advantages where now, now you've got a, a center back or two center backs pulled out of position. You lay that ball off and now you're attacking with numbers. And I just think there's something to that style of play that I've always wanted to see out of the national team. We haven't seen it yet. We're starting to see that fight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But knowing that that's not going to be a part of uh, of this camp or 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 um, Daryl DK, who's just as capable of that, I was really I was kind of saddened by this idea of of uh, a young boy seeing, hey, this is a player that we have. Let's utilize him to his best abilities. This is a situation where we want to draw Atalanta to overpress. We're going to lump it up to his feet and we're going to create these advantages from his holdup play. And I'm like, man, there's something to that. And we saw that a little bit in, in the Nations League uh, as well this summer, but I, I, I'm just kind of sad that he's not coming into camp. Well, look, and there you have it. Which USMNT player will go furthest in the 2021-2022 Champions League? Weston McKenney. Well, I mean, that's pretty more team as opposed to performance. But yes, I, I see your point, everybody. Well, well done. All right. So that was a USMNT chatter, by the way. And now, because there's always controversy, we had to welcome in once again, Christina Uncle, our referee, official expert. Christina, first of all, how are you? Did you calm down a little bit after yesterday's complete circus? Christina, an absolute <laughs> mess. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I did not calm down. If anything, that prepared <laughs> me for today. Uh, that just the heart rate's been right here and it hasn't gone down yet. So I'm ready to dig into this. Hey, Christina, that. real quick, by right. the way, just so you know, uh, uh, 
LME said that there were dubious calls, uh, refereeing decisions, dubious. What's your take on the word dubious, by the way? Just to clarify, he said that before you were on here. Dubious was the word he used today. Dubious is a nice term of art in the legal world. I would say it could go one way or the other. So therefore, you kind of made it a 50-50 equal. So it's you're you're on the fence there. Okay. I like it. See, that's my English major uh, from college. That's what uh, that's what I did. But let me uh, let me ask you this one. Let's begin with this one. Salzburg against Lille. Jimmy, you wanted to do it? No, I've got another question. You go first. <laughs> I, I don't know, Jimmy. I feel no, Jimmy. You know what? Yours might be pretty tasty. Go ahead. Oh, well, good, I'm just gonna say that, with all due respect and the excitement of Manchester United scoring late, Cristiano Ronaldo, Jesse Lingard touches the ball over to him in an onside position, but when he falls. He's in an offside position, and I think in, in the way of the Villarreal goalkeeper, Ruli. And then I just want to know what happens in that instance when his momentum puts him into an offside position and into potentially a spot where he could block and distract the goalkeeper from that spot on the field. Interfering with play, right? Yes. What, yeah, what? Interfering, interfering with the keeper is versus probably like interfering with play is essentially what you're asking. So like the breakdown is and the snapshot is when the ball is first played, right? So that's where we want to analyze where his body was, right? So mm-hmm. if after the ball is hit, he then is then falling at that point, then it, it doesn't matter. And it's when the ball is first struck, not when the when the the his uh, uh sorry, when his his player, his teammate is essentially uh striking the ball as soon as there's first contact that's when we take the snapshot in and of itself so that's where we would make the analysis the determination it was was his body with and play and obviously a body part he can use right hands don't matter but everything else and that's where we'll take that analysis as snapshot as to whether or not he would have been interfering with play at that component not whether you know by the time he's fallen the ball's already been played so that's where that breakdown comes down to interesting all right i like it all right well let me ask you my question that i don't know if you saw obviously salzburg against lille as Botman conceded a penalty, it seemed that there was something going on beforehand. The referee did go to VAR and still gave the penalty. Thoughts on that one? Yeah. So this one's this one's um, complex. <laughs> Is that dubious? A it's dubious. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, complex because it has that really, really good like breakdown of what essentially is our level of clear and obvious error for VAR, right? When do we get into, when when is there interference? And so if we look at UEFA, UEFA has a very, very high bar, right? If we're going to talk about Bundesliga, UEFA, they're basically on par, right? Then the rest of domestic professional leagues, other uh, federations around, I would arguably say that they're lower level in, in what they determine clear and obvious error. So here, yes, we have a young referee crew on this. We have a Turkish referee, second UCL match ever of his life. His last one was December 2020. Super excited. And a young VAR, right, who doesn't re- use VAR in his domestic league back in Turkey. So this is this is them learning, essentially, the process is a really good learning point. But here, live play, et cetera, right, we got the referee calling a penalty on that because obviously he's looking through the back of the player's naturally for us right you get that feeling of the ball got touched first right so Mm -hmm. here you know my final determination and decision what we would prefer to see here is no penalty whatsoever the majority of the contact on the ball now this is where slow-mo can kill you in the var boot you're sitting there slow-moing it still shotting it and you're saying well there was some contact you know essentially on what is adamaya's leg that or foot you know at the time but it kind of reminded me a lot of the ballistic play right uh what we had in concacaf where Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. We have the majority of the play on the ball. It's good to go. Leave that alone. Don't touch it. VAR can kind of, you know, make that look worse than what it is. And I think everyone kind of, their feeling is like, we're good. You know, no PK, don't give it. 
So when he did recommend it down and in the in the analysis they did, they first looked at the VAR or the penalty situation. Then they looked at the uh, essentially that second foul leading up to it. Was there a second foul leading up to it? So going into that penalty, uh, I, I I like it domestically here, you know, in, in the US, we would recommend that down for no no penalty. Uh, we would want that taken away because of that much contact on the ball and it basically happened simultaneously with the with the contact on the other body part. However, that being said, he didn't want that. He's like, nope, I'm good. I'm still good with my PK, which is why the VAR then presented the potential foul leading up to it. So the order of the VAR presentation was good. Um, that itself, in my opinion, doesn't lead to a foul itself. The player's naturally running. Obviously, he said, let's take a look at it while you're here so you can make a determination. But I don't think that's a foul. That doesn't even rise to the careless. Um, so that wouldn't have negated the PK um, there given. But Referee, it's his prerogative to make that final decision. And he decided to stick with his penalty kick decision, which I still think is the wrong decision. And they're going to have another look at that. And kind of there's that question about was it clear and obvious to have sent out in the first place because there was contact. But if it was sent down, it should have been overruled. Well, look, see, that's a complete answer. And I love it. Hey. By the way, Botman conceded two penalties in that one. Let's finish off with Sevilla. By I the feel way. smarter, by the way. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, I feel smarter goal. just from seeing Des throw up the actual definition of dubious on the screen. That was, uh, <laughs> we all learned something. That was pretty impressive, indeed. All right, let's finish up on that second yellow uh, on Gilavogi uh, in, in the Wolfsburg Sevilla game. They got the second yellow, and then Sevilla got a penalty, uh, which uh, Rakitic converted. Uh, some people on Twitter, because Twitter is such a haven for a great conversation, are saying that it was an absolute insane decision, probably worse than the Kessie one yesterday. What would you make of it? Ooh, I don't think it was worse than Kessie, personally. Uh, I think Kessie yeah, was, was, was worse. Yeah, but here I can see, and the Bulgarian referee in the center did well not to call this, right? So the, the first decision was no penalty. We're good, uh, right? We have Golovagi taking that, like, that ball and hitting it. Where I think, and it's actually a little bit surprising because this VAR in here is Kevin Baum, and he's from the Netherlands, uh, referees in the Dutch League, has VAR. I was actually a bit surprised that he sent it down. And this is where I think both clips got lost in slow motion and still shot, right? Because mm -hmm. if you slow-mo it at the point where, right, there was that actual contact, it looks like it studs in, you know, essentially the shin. And, right, we had that play yesterday, uh, right, that happened in the PSG match, right? So, who knows what's going through the referee's minds when they're like, oh, shoot, we missed that studs in the shin. You know, let me send this down for that double check. And that might have been why he had sent him just trying to get into the subconscious, conscious brain of his. But being that being said, I don't think this is it. So there is that uh, analysis that we talk about, that follow through. Did the player, whether it's the defender or the attacker, follow through and kind of continue their strike or their shot that exposed studs that unreasonably put a player in a dangerous situation, right? And here, if you really take a look in actually full play, and that's the importance of speeding up these plays where AER in the VAR booth is, that was as natural as natural can get. And like, he didn't even, you know, if he continued it and got him in the knee, I'd be like, all right, let's send this down, right? But right. we didn't, he, he, he got it and he pulled back as much as he could, cleared all the ball, had the right opportunity to play that ball in the fair manner. So I don't think this should have been sent down, especially for a second yellow card PK on it. Like the, the crime doesn't fit the pun or the punishment didn't fit the crime in here for me. Well, I'm getting a theme here. You know, when you slow motion this video, it becomes a little bit terrible. It becomes worse and more emphatic, I, I guess. Uh, boys, anything more for Christina before we say goodbye to Christina? Uncle, I mean, she always makes us feel smarter. That's for damn sure. Uh, but if there's anything else, we just wanted to say goodbye and thank you so much. Heath, uh, did you have something? I know you're yeah, looking yeah, around. Yeah, my my only question is, I guess, for people listening and, and for myself for, for education, how important is it when you're running back these videos to run them in real time as well as slow motion? Because it does seem like 
everything in slow motion. It's kind of like watching a dog pile in the NFL where you can just see a whole bunch of things almost happen. You could sort of justify whatever you want when you slow it down enough. Uh, but you could, you know, in, in real time, like you said, there's a difference between kind of a spring loaded lunge and, and sort of going through something and pulling back. I mean, how important is that when, when trying to gather the evidence to make a decision? Yeah, it's critical. Uh, we always talk about the first thing we want to do is when you see a play live, it kind of makes you go, oof, let me let me take a look at that again. You know, we throw it up on the screen and my video operator, our video operator would essentially play it at 50% only because what we're looking for is point of contact, right? We get point of contact, then we play that again in full speed. It's like, let's play that again in full speed just to make sure we're not... Uh, we're not pigeonholed. We're not looking too much at the trees as opposed to the forest. So it's really critical that prior to you even recommending to the referee to take a look at it, that you're playing that in point of contact. If you got that, then playing it in full speed a couple of times, getting the opinion of your assistant VAR on that as to whether or not, you know, you're, you're too micromanaging on that before you even make that recommendation. So it is really critical because that really puts it in context. Well, there is nothing dubious about having Christina Uncle on the show ever. So thank you so much, Christina. Have a great, great rest of your week. And we will see you next time when the Champions League returns. Thanks so much. Yeah. Bye, all. Later. Later. All right. Well, she is the queen, and we are thankful for having her as part of our family. And now let's discuss. We're going to keep on going here. I know that Heath Pierce has to leave a little bit early, and I know that Jimmy as well. But... I want to talk about the Barcelona dumpster fire. It's just absolutely insane. Okay. They lose to Benfica 3 nothing. They put uh, PK comes out early. Frankie the Young acts essentially as a third center back. They've got about five players who are 13 years old in there. Coleman <laughs> is really not. There's just, there's a lot going on with Barcelona. So let's talk about this game. We have comments. People want to discuss this. And obviously, we want to talk about Ronald Koeman. It's not all his fault. We get it. But today, absolutely highlighted so many things. Jimmy, let's begin with Barcelona. And then, Heath, you jump straight up. Yeah, I just, well, there's a couple of things I want to start with. The starting lineup. Because before, in our preview, we were very adamant that there was going to be some significant injuries to key players. Sergio Roberto, Pedri was going to be out. Uh, even Eric Garcia might not be available. And all these players were there. And I was like, oh, sweet. They actually might compete in this one. But they didn't compete in the way that they needed to because Benfica came out and made sure they set the tone and set the rhythm. And when they scored an early goal, then you have everybody in the stadium, all the fans buying into this being a possibility. And you already have a Barcelona that isn't anywhere near as confident as they used to be because if they go down a goal, who's really going to step up and be their talisman to make the big plays to make the difference? That player has left and gone to PSG. And so Ronald Koeman has proven that, okay, in moments he does show some tactical acumen that you're like, okay, he, he clearly gets it in some capacity. But right now it's just, you're, it's a dumpster fire. It really is a dumpster fire. Now on the flip side, on, on my side at least, I said, you guys challenged me, which team was going to bomb out of the group stages and go into the Europa League that maybe you wouldn't expect. I had Barcelona. I think this was an easy mark. I said that Benfica had to win this game to make sure that they finished second in the group, and they did it in convincing style. I said that Darwin Nunez would be the player to watch. The boy had a brace. Prediction got status confirmed. Now, I might not have hit all my other stuff. I'll raise my hand and take responsibility for that. But for this one, I nailed it, and uh, I thought it was a great performance from Benfica. And then on the flip side, not so great for Barcelona. Can I just say real quick, and that is genius, Jimmy. I got to give you that. Because listen to these names. By the way, whenever you say, can I just say real quick, you can always say it. Absolutely. Just, uh, but I just want to point out uh, this, the, 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 what I wanted to say real quick is that was genius from Jimmy, but look, okay. listen to this roster and tell me if you would have asked me this a couple months ago, I would have called Jimmy crazy. Almost should still be calling him crazy. Luke de Young, Memphis Depay, Serginho Des, Pedri, Busquets, Frankie de Young, Sergio Roberto, Ronald Araujo, 
uh, Gerard Piquet, Eric Garcia, Mark uh, Andre Ter Stegen. You're telling me that team is a 3-0 in the Champions League against Benfica? Like what's I, 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 I didn't I, I say get, three nil. I just said Benfica. No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying but, you. I, I'm yeah, saying no, in general. The rhetorical like, question. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the rhetorical question is that that is a competitive team, right? Yeah, maybe maybe they're be. gonna struggle. Maybe they're not going to win La Liga. Maybe they're not w- going to win Champions League. But if you took out all of the comments and the messy controversy and the debt and all these things and you put that team on the field, I'd be like, okay, that's a top three. Well, let me ask you this then, Heath, right here. Uh, Andy, right here. Great question. And Jimmy, I want you to jump in after. Is Barcelona's loss really only on Ronald Koeman or the front office to blame, Heath? Yeah, yeah. I I, th- I think it's on all of – I mean, I think the dis- club's in a, a disastrous state. But you could have a manager that could could have delicately done that. And I think he's – He's trying to tap into a generation that doesn't exist anymore and the way that you motivate these players publicly, like publicly berating players. That, that's a generation pass. Now, maybe Jose Mourinho can get that out of his players when he has a war chest and can spend money and knows he has the depth to make those changes. But this is a different group. It's full of young guys that need to be nurtured, need to be treated right. You could see in his face that there's pretty much a giant FU from the players towards him when you go out publicly and say, this team's going to, you know, they can't win tro- they can't win trophies, they're not going to win silverware, they're going to have to weather the storm, and blah, blah, blah. It's not exactly a vote of confidence. And you can see on his face when they went down 3-0, he was like, oh, man. I could see on his face, he's pretty much saying like, oh, I think that's my, I think I'm the one that's going to go, not all of them. And 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 that's a that's a huge problem in a time like this, you know. And he rolled. He, look, I give him credit for for rolling the dice on what he thought was going to motivate this team. But you can tell that they're super fragile. And when you have a manager like that, especially a Dutch manager that's as disciplined as he is and as outspoken as he is, like you lose that locker room and it's over. You know, you're going to have a Gerard Pique going. I guess my time here is done as well because I'm going to get out of here. Well, that might be based on his performance because he wasn't very good today either. And I thought he could have done a lot better on that first goal when Darnian Nunez did three stepovers, took a big giant touch and nobody slid over to actually make a play on that. And then he slotted it near post. It's got to be tough for Ronald Koeman when you go out there and you put names on the team sheet and then those players don't perform to what you know they're capable of. Now, for a young player, you make exceptions for that because you expect them to have ups and downs. But when you put Busquets, you put PK, you put De Jong, Depay, these guys that you have to count on to show up and make good performances, and they don't, that's got to really be tough for Koeman because what else is he going to do? Like He's out of answers there. And two, yes, the larger question, their financial situation, the handling of the messy situation, the whole Super League stuff, it's just a, it's a complete mess in so many different ways. Now, maybe this was coming anyway. I mean, they had such a good run for so long. At some point, it's going to catch up to you and balance out like we've seen with Manchester United since Sir Alex Ferguson left. And now they're just finally starting to regain that that uh, credibility or whatever you want to call it that they once had. Mm. But this team, yeah, you can say all those names, but if they're not out there and organized and ready to fight, there's still that competition that you have to have, whether you're playing against Benfica, whether you're playing against Brentford. We saw it with Liverpool this past week. You still have to go out there and compete. And I don't think we're seeing enough of that in all areas of the field. Just because you put on a Barcelona shirt doesn't mean everybody's just going to bow down to you and and kiss your hand, you know, and kiss the ring or whatever it may be. So they have a lot of work to do in terms of identity. And yes, that falls on Koeman, but his hand, he feels handcuffed a little bit. The problem I have with the fans is sure you want Koeman out, but who's coming in? Who's going to take over? I mean, they, if I'm Eric Ten Hag at Ajax, or if I'm Xavi that I'm, I'm coaching in Qatar, wherever he's coaching, I'm looking and seeing the same dumpster fire as all the other fans. Like, why do oh. I want to take over that situation? Eric no. Ten Hag, forget about it. He's not going anywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, though, like, they've seen the same crap that we're seeing. Yeah, why yeah. would you Who want to touch to that? Nah, yeah, that's, to but that's, that. that's, that's why it all falls. When, when you ask, is this, the, the question was, like, is, is this on, on Komen or is this on the club? And you look at the club and you go, well, what, what can you expect of the club, right? If you were, 
if you were anybody, if you're um, anybody who's been in the club for a, a PK, for example, and you're looking at everyone and you're trying to say, hey, no one's bigger than the crest. You look over at the crest and what the club means and what it stands for and the problems that it has. And you go, well, maybe that's not the case anymore. Maybe this doesn't stand up to this this foundation mm -hmm. of La Masia and player development and playing the game the right way and the foundational things of which this club was built. It seems like a disaster. And then when you stop trusting that, when you stop believing that the club is bigger than all of us and managers come and go, players come and go, but we all have to represent this crest in a different way, uh, when that goes away, then you, you're left wondering what you play for, right? And mm -hmm. if you don't have the confidence of the team and all that stuff, you, you don't know where to look to find the inspiration to say tomorrow is going to be better than today and we're going to continue to climb uh, like towards climb out of this hole that we're in. Yeah, well, we have another question here. Current Barcelona team versus Arsenal. Who would win, <laughs> Heath? Arsenal's the best team in the Premier League right now. They're the most <laughs> based on based well, on the last, last two games. the last no the last three days yeah. uh, or four days. Arsenal uh, Arsenal's the best team in in the Premier League. You just can't. You they're unbeatable. Well, they're, unde they're undefeated since last weekend. Would th would they beat Barcelona right now? I say I think Arsenal would because I think they have more of an identity currently with this starting eleven since the international break. They've only given up one goal and they look very good on that side of the ball. And I think that is what troubles. Barcelona attacking wise, and then also their defense for Barcelona is a shambles. If Arsenal, if Arsenal, Arsenal plays, if Arsenal plays Barcelona the same way they put against Arsenal, it will be like five nothing. Like Honestly, I think, especially Bar that first half from Arsenal was unbelievable. Barcelona are an absolute mess. Ronald Koeman just said it as well. I don't know what Barcelona think and what they will decide about my future. It's not in my hands. I'm just going to tell you this. The 1.5 billion whatever debt, not his fault, right? Messi leaving and the way that he left, not his fault. Putting Frankie the Young as a third center back, knowing that you need creativity when you're playing and the Champions League, that's his fault. What are you doing? I saw that game and there were no answers. So to me, it's a collective issue. But to your point, Jimmy Connor, and I think everybody agree with you, he leaves who's coming in. Sergio Busquets is a player manager. That actually might not be a terrible idea. I'm sure, P I'm sure PK wouldn't mind. He seems <laughs> to be uh, pretty, pretty uh, opinionated on how the club should be run. All right, yeah. Heath. I know that you got two minutes, so give me your lowdown on this and uh, anything else that you want to discuss before uh, Jimmy and I can wrap up the rest of the Champions League. Yeah, my final thoughts were on Komen. Like, last year, he fell short, right? They were on a huge run last year, and I thought they were actually going to run away and, and potentially get the title um, and and didn't. And I think, again, to go into this season, the fact that that <clears throat> even for him, in his defense, that the club is not giving him a reassurance of his future uh, shows that they're on different pages. And that's not a healthy thing for anybody either because you have the manager saying one thing to the public. You have the club that's already in shambles kind of hiding behind uh, these results and hiding behind the incidents of, of of Super League and hiding behind incidents of of Lionel Messi and the debt and all these things that it seems like everybody is looking for a scapegoat. And it would suck if he was the scapegoat because as you guys mentioned, you know, who becomes the next one? It's sort of like this Man United situ Man United over the last few years where it's sort of like, Okay, if you replace him, then who's the next? Like, like you mentioned, who who wants that job? Who wants to say, knowing that the club just is going to use you as a scapegoat if you don't get the results right away, or you got to come in and bring in somebody that's going to be Thierry Henry, guys? Should we bring in Thierry Henry to, to rebuild the club? Uh, for maybe the next I was season? actually thinking go a Ted Lasso way and just get Nick Saban in here and then see what he can do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would be great. But Heath Pierce, lovely to see you, my friend. Make sure that you check out him and Jimmy talking USMNT roster. Heath will be back as well for the weekend preview. And of course, all the USMNT action and weekend recap as well. Bye, we'll Heath. see you soon, Heath. Thanks, brother. See you guys. And Heath leaves and Jimmy and I close up. Jimmy got to go too. So we're going to do the roundup of the rest of the games. And Des, our producer, will put them on the screen. Well, 
Barcelona in demise. Bayern Munich absolutely destroying it. Check this out. Five nothing. Watch the goals, everybody, as well. There were some cracking goals. So Bayern Munich wins right there. Lewandowski ends the one-game goal drought. Uh, he'd scored 19 <laughs> straight before then, by the way. The one-goal game drought. Imagine yeah. like that levels. I do want to say that Lewandowski has scored 119 goals in his last 100 matches for Bayern Munich. He uh, has 77 goals in 98 career matches in the Champions League. Third all-time. Third all-time. Yeah. Ronaldo with 136. Messi with 121. Lewandowski is 77. And Benzema with 72. Well, Bayern Munich is a very good example of, you know, they rejected the Super League and they're just a club that believes in a system and they have tremendous players and look at the example of what they have. And they steal everybody else's best players in their league, but that's a different <laughs> conversation. <laughs> oh, Go ahead. Boy, Who yeah. else are you talking about? <laughs> no, that, that is true. There is a little bit of a disparity. But anyway, moving on. Atalanta, as we said, mentioned uh, they beat one nothing. Young boys, Matteo Pessina, the first Italian player to score with Atalanta in the Champions League, by the way. So nice, I just want to say a nice professional performance from Atalanta, who had been leaking a lot of goals. Mm. And Young Boys had scored 15 goals in their previous three games after being united. So that's a really good performance from Atalanta on both sides of the ball. I was really impressed. And their first uh, Champions League game in front of home fans, which is a big deal because uh, mm -hmm. Atalanta, uh, where they come from, they really suffered during COVID. So it was a nice uh, way for them to, to get that. Senate beat Malmo uh, for nothing. And Wolfsburg and Sevilla tied one all. Uh, Zenit, by the way, break their eight-match winless streak in the Champions League with their largest ever margin of victory in the competition. Anything else from those games, Jimmy Conrad, before we say goodbye? Or anything from tonight? Well, I just Salzburg continues to get penalties. I think they had three or four in match day one. They had two yeah. today. It's, I mean, they got to be setting records for penalties. And that is uh, pretty cool. I just want Brendan Aronson to actually step up and take one. That would be that would be nice. But Kareem Adeyemi is a special player. He was with Bayern Munich and they sold him to Salzburg. And I think they'll probably buy him back at some point. He is very, very good. Scored both of those penalties for Salzburg. And then very quickly, I know people are going to be down on Chelsea. Obviously not playing well this particular week. But they get Malmo twice you know, over match day three, match day four. So they should get full points in that. And that should put them right back into contention. Yeah, for but Jimmy, the if Sheriff taught us anything, Jimmy Conrad, you should. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I should probably put asterisks or air quotes behind should win those games. But uh, really impressed with Benfica. I can't say enough about their performance, even though Barcelona are dumpster fire. I don't want to take anything away from them. And Zenit, yeah, it was a really impressive performance from Zenit. And that will put some pressure on Chelsea to have to get results as well, because Zenit will have to play against uh Juventus twice in a row so watch match day three and match day four are going to be like I thought I mean these first two matches have been unbelievable but match day three and four will be pretty pretty interesting as well oh uh, match day three is going to be insane absolutely correct but Jimmy Conrad will be back as well as we discuss the weekend preview don't forget to watch Jimmy and Heath for the USMNT roster and they'll be here as I mentioned once again the World Cup qualifiers as well weekend recap so much action Jimmy always a pleasure brother thank you so much man thanks you thank you LME I was going to say thanks in the plural for not only you but for Des and Heath and Christina and James and everybody watching and listening to our fabulous Kegel Lasso podcast it wouldn't be as special without everybody else and their support 100% and just that segue for us to please if you are listening on Apple Podcasts leave a five-star review Spotify Stitcher youtube.com forward slash Kego Lasso follow us on Twitter and ask us questions because we got so much more to come Kego Lasso pod that's Jimmy Conrad I'm Luis Miguel Echegaray Champions League Wednesday recap we will see you next time have a great great evening and take care later on May 23rd 
I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.